Business and Bucket fans, we are live. Episode 28 in wake of the Utah Jazz game tonight. Game 1, Los Angeles Clippers series. I'll be tuning in 7 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Mountain, and be flying to Salt Lake for Game 5 as long as that happens, so fingers crossed. Uh, but super excited with the show today. Lots of different content to dive into. UFC fights, NBA action, NHL action. We got enough sports for you on this beautiful summer day. And hey, I love looking at myself rock this old school Purple Mountain jersey of the Salt Lake uh, Utah Jazz. I love this jersey. I grew up watching the Jazz in the old Delta Center with this jersey. And I hope that they pull these out sometime this series. But regardless, before we talk sports, you already know. It's Fueled Supplements. So the Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete or a busy mom on the go or are just looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. And whether you're trying to run a 4040, lift over 400 pounds, or even just enjoy life for the next 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align to your specific goals. Head over to FueledSupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products besides whey protein. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS. I know I used it for my lift earlier today. Uh, my favorite pre-workout in the line, Blood Rounds, really got me going for leg day, feeling it. Uh, but yeah, check them out. People helping people support the small business versus the big corporations. That's how we all win, baby. Support business and buckets. Subscribe, right? The more subscribers, the more uh, money opportunities. If you didn't know, I'm not really making much money for this. If anything, I've invested my own time and money into the podcast to be able to present to you guys. But it's my passion. Uh, looking forward to, uh, to growing, you know, making something out of it, potentially a career out of it. Have the monthly business episodes to help you guys learn and grow personally and professionally because that's what it's all about, right? We got to grow. We got to keep learning. And we got to keep watching sports. You don't have to, but I mean, come on. Sports is king. And we always start the show with NFL, so let's dive right into the NFL. Really the main headline, only headline that matters, Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans. I'm super stoked about this because his other options were like the Patriots or uh, some other teams that I think would be too deadly and franchises that I, I don't want to have premier receivers. The Patriots already took Ronnie, Randy Moss uh, towards the end of his career, won Super Bowls with him. So if it's anybody, I'm happy it's the Titans. I'm as big of a fan of Julio as anyone. I mean, look at the man. He's a physical specimen. He's fast. He's quick. He has great hands. If anything, the biggest issues for him was that Falcons red zone offense and getting uh, not him getting as many touchdowns and potentially some injury concerns over the course of his career as he likes to lay down the wood himself. I've had him in fantasy the past two years. You know, the, the non-touchdown thing is kind of a uh, pain, but I usually get him in the second round, which is crazy, and uh, I'm rooting for him, to be honest. You know, now that he's in the AFC, though, can't root for him too much. When it comes to the trade and who won, I never think the team uh, wins a trade for a top name like this leaving. So I want to assume that the Falcons are winning this trade. Now, if they had moved Matt Ryan, they were on a complete restart, you could win this trade. But keeping Matt Ryan, keeping most of that core together, how do you win the trade by getting rid of a top-tier talent like this? Especially when the Titans are sending you a, a, a second-round pick next year, a fourth-round pick in 2023, and then you're giving them in 2023 a sixth-round pick. So sure, 
The second and fourth round pick could turn into quality players. The odds of them turning into the Jones production that you're getting, not very high, but you are getting return for future seasons, which it seems like the Falcons are pretty much in a future se- uh, season's position. You never know with that division, though. Teams are always up and down, and the Falcons go from 14-2 and two to 4-12 and 12 on a yearly basis, so it's hard to understand, you know, really pick and, and make a good grasp decision on what the hell the Falcons are doing. Um, I'm not too t- uh, confident in the Titans, as a lot of people are. You look at the Titans on paper, you got Derrick Henry, you got uh, Julio Jones, you got A.J. Brown, like the men am- man amongst men, but there's a few risks here. How many carries has Derrick Henry had the past few years? Can he obtain that? If anyone can, it's it's King Henry. Uh, but usually you can't bet on these guys getting so many carries and being able to manage through those workloads. And you know the offense is still going to run through him, which for Julio means a lot of blocking. Uh, look at him. He can block, but that also raises injury concern. Uh, he's only going to help AJ, AJ Brown mold and grow into a better receiver. And I still think AJ Brown has a better season than Julio does this year. And I want to be surprised if Julio is right around the thousand yard mark this year. I don't think he's going to have spectacular numbers. There's some mouse to feed on that offense. They have offensive line holes. Their offensive line is the best. They have two, two good solid linemen. Uh, Luan's been battling injuries throughout the past couple of years as well, which puts more risk there. I do like the new coach. I think he, uh, well, Vrabel's still there, but I like the new offensive coordinator. I, I like the, the positioning that they have, but is this going to be an automatic Super Bowl team? I've seen some things on social media, which you can't believe what you see on social media. It's out of proportion, but I've seen some things that have people super high on this, but they're not going to be better than the Chiefs. They're not going to be better than the Browns. They're just not going to be better than those teams, um, the, the elite teams in the AFC. But they will be fun to watch. It will be interesting to see how they, they go. And, I mean, who the hell ha- hates the Titans? If you hate the Titans, you're just a hater. I mean, they haven't done anything to you. They haven't been really relevant since the Steve McNair days and, honestly, the team that they have now. But all those things that I've set aside, it comes down to Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill. Can he consistently put in the work to get the job done? He's played at the highest levels he has his whole career. I just don't know if that's a sustainable thing, and I'm not betting on it. So... Uh, I haven't done the anywhere near my preseason predictions yet as there's lots of other moves to be done, I'm sure. But, you know, including Aaron Rodgers. But it's going to be a fun team. I don't expect them to be, you know, probably even the top three team in the AFC. But hey, it's nice to see Julio got what he wanted and he gets to work with Mr. A.J. Brown, uh, another stud receiver that is going to be a force to be reckoned with for years to come. Outside of that, there's not really major NFL headlines, but there are some that are in football and college football. I'm not going to segment out college football until we're closer to the season. But Nick Saban extended, no surprise. We've seen the likes of Coach K retiring. Uh, We've seen the likes of Popovich coming down to an end. Some elite coaches through college and professional sports are on their way out. And Mr. Nick Saban is extended. He's still young enough to... (laughs) reign terror amongst the SEC and the rest of college football for a very long time. And something that really intrigues me, I mean, really, really intrigues me, is the college football playoff has a 12-team playoff as a new favorite. You know, word was that they were looking to expand to eight in the future, but a 12-team favorite uh, for potentially happening as soon as 2023. Nothing's going to happen dramatically this year or next year. But hey, this is a huge win. You look at some of the smaller teams that you know people think they have a chance. The Cincinnati's, um, God, what was that team? 
Florida. I don't know. There's been a lot of different teams that have been on the cusp as like minor teams that people think that they could have done it, right? Um, and most likely they can't against Power 5 teams, but it just separates the Power 5, puts some fun stories, some underdog stories, some more March Madnessy fill into it. Lots of logistics to be played out with the bowl games, you know, the payments and everything else. So it's probably going to be a rocky, a little time for this is, is official, but promising news in the football world, 12-team playoff, that's going to be exciting. I mean, you put that right up there with the NFL playoffs. Now that we have a, a legit playoff, I know I'm an FCS guy graduating from uh, University of Montana. You can't be in the FBS bowl system, but something like this, I love the FCS playoffs. I think that makes the, the that division the only the, the most intriguing thing, and this is only going to bring more uh, eyes to college football if there can be more eyes and excitement for big fans like myself. So awesome out of the college world, super stoked. Let's make this happen. All right, come on NCAA. But probably the biggest few weeks, usually the mid to end June to mid to end July, it just has crazy fight cards. International fight week happened in July. It's always around my birthday. So I know I'm in for a treat around my birthday time. But we got a great UFC event coming up. Uh, we're going to recap last week's fight night that ended up being, you know, pretty awesome for a fight night. I remember, you know, talking that I thought it was just really the headlining fight did the analysis for you guys and realized there's some high-level opponents in there that I've seen, and I think it delivered. So let's start with the Tanner, Bozer, Alir, Latifi fight. Alir, Latifi able, able to escape this one in a split-decision victory, which for fight fans, for guys like me, you know, this is just another older dude, which props to the older dudes, right? For you guys to be able to fight at top-level, top-of-the-world-level competition at 36-plus years old, I believe Latifi's 37. I mean, holy shit. I'm not even 30 years old, and I'm realizing, like, man, I'm not as in good a shape as I used to be. Like, I, I want to be healthy into my 30s. I think your 30s are really your golden years, and I want to be able to do a lot of things. And guys like this inspire me. If this guy can do it, I can do it, right? 36 years old. He's fighting in the heavyweight decision where your brain can get destroyed. That's some crazy shit. This is a little bit of a controversial fight, though. When it comes to the takedowns and, and top control, I can understand it from a scoring methodology, but he did not do any damage from up top. I thought Tanner won the fight personally. It's a very tough loss for Mr. Bozer, who is really just entering his fight prime. He has lost to Cyril Gane and two other uh, old vets recently, Latifi and also Andre Arlovsky, past UFC champion, heavyweight champion. So he needs to build some momentum with two losses in a row. It just is a bummer to see up-and-coming guys that have potential lose to the older figures. You know, Glover Teixeira, what he's done in the light heavyweight. Shit, now we see Jan Blachowicz just now figuring things out. The ages in UFC is so much different than other professional sports, which logically you think it would be a younger prime because these guys are beating the shit out of each other. But a lot of these guys don't even figure out that they want to be a part of mixed martial arts until probably mid to late 20s. You know, more so now, earlier 20s, but... Well, you know, the fighting prime is technically considered like 29 to 33 because it takes so long to get to the professional fighting, getting that experience to to finally figuring out your flow zone and your prime. And now we're seeing guys even later figure it out because the way the sport has evolved so much and there's so many different, you know, strategies to implement and so much more knowledge with being able to watch fights, technology, so on and so forth, mixing up with camps. 
we're seeing guys that had potentially peaked getting into a better peak because of that knowledge. And it's very interesting to see. Um, I don't know how much longer we'll see this because of the evolution of the sport. We'll see a lot of guys coming in with such good knowledge and skills. And there's a lot of guys coming from wrestling that were in Olympic wrestling or college wrestling that are coming into UFC and learning a lot more broad-based skills very early in their career. With the actual scorecard of this fight, Tanner had 84 total strikes versus Latifi's 51 and 45 uh, significant strikes to um, Elir's 10. So clearly on the on top, he was managing this fight. The first round, he dominated. You know, he did get those takedowns. Third round, he just laid on him. But again, this is what's tough with scoring in the UFC. It, and it's a split decision. It wasn't unanimous. Is when you do take someone down, I'm a wrestler. There's definitely points here. And when you're controlling uh, up top... But you got to do something on top, right? You got to go for a submission attempt. You got to throw some some punches and land some damage. If you're just going to lay up there and do nothing, I don't know how you could really say that they won that fight. Now, what happens next? Well, Alir is another older vet in the heavyweight division. Why not put him up against another one? Ben Rothwell's ranked up a little bit higher against him. He came and beat a young prospect as well. I forget his name, but it was his first UFC fight. Put these two together. They've never fought together. That would actually be a fun fight to see. And then Bozer, it's really tough losing two in a row in the heavyweight division, especially to these older guys. I would love to see him with Felipe Lins, which is another young prospect in the heavyweight division. Puts up two guys that are coming off losses. I think that would be a banger of a fight and something that Dana White, Sean Shelby should consider. So... That was it, really, on the prelims. I, you know, we're not going to dive into every single fight. If you've, if you're a weekly business and bucket MMA fan, I'm not going to touch every single fight. The ones that I'm knowledgeable, the ones that I could pay guidance to, the guys that I've seen fight, we'll talk about. So let's move to the main card of this fight night. I didn't do a preview last week on this fight, but my girl Montana De La Rosa, second round knockout of Ariane Lipsky. You know, I didn't dive into this fight too much because I thought this what happened would be what happened. Um, typical Montana fight was able to get her down and grind her out for a victory. You know, she's a vet in this division. Uh, Lipsky just, you know, very raw still has potential, uh, but I expected to Montana to take her down and grind her out. This is another win on Montana's belt. She is now ranked, I believe for the first time moving up to number 15, right in the top 15 on the UFC website. So Bravo Montana. Gotta love it. And then we have another young prospect fight. I was super stoked about this fight, to be honest. We had Dusko Todorovic lose to Gregory Rodriguez via unanimous decision. You know, Rodriguez, I had not seen much of him. This is his first UFC fight coming out of the LFA. He had fight a contender fight, contender series fight, two fights previous, ended up losing that, not getting a UFC contract. Must have been impressive in the LFA. And he was impressive in this fight. I mean, he has some serious power. He looks just fucking yoked. He looked massively bigger than Dusko. Can't imagine the weight that this guy's dropping. I thought Dusko was going to tire him out in the later rounds, but Gregory was smart, picked his spots, and got the job done. Gregory had 73 total strikes versus Dusko's 46 and also had three takedowns. So he was a well-rounded fighter. And when you did think he was getting tired, like I said, he was really just picking his spots because every strike that he threw just seemed like it had serious power on it. And Dusko wasn't as offensive and aggressive as I've seen him in, in previous fights, but I think he felt Gregory's power early on and knew he had to be careful. 
Dusko did come on strong late, which this is obviously only a three-round fight, um, but it was too late. You know, maybe in a five-round fight, things would have changed. Uh, but Dusko now with his first two losses back-to-back against some tough competition and really bright, promising prospects. Um, Gregory's first one in the UFC. You know he's got to love that. I'm sure these two guys are both going to keep it going and, and, and gain momentum in this division, and no one's really going to want to fuck with these guys. Where does Gregory go from here? I could see him fighting someone like Kyle Dacus, maybe Sam Alvey, who are ranked up higher in the division that have a little bit of experience that would be fun stylistic matchups. And then Dusko definitely needs to have a win, so I'm sure he will take whoever he can get at this point. Um, you know, coming from 10 and 0, 10 and 2, that's always tough. So he's got to get that momentum back. But I'll be tuning in because I like me, Mr. Dusko. And then, holy shit, what a banger this one was. Potentially fight of the year candidate early on. We had Santiago Ponzabio, unanimous decision over uh, Miguel Beiza, which I was just drawn into this fight the whole time. I couldn't get my eyes off of it. I remember someone was uh, trying to have a conversation with me. I was like, hold on, dude. Check this fight. This shit's insane. Um, the way they stood in the pocket and threw down at the end of the fight was bonkers. Honestly, you put five, maybe ten more seconds on that clock. Beza looked like he was about to be sleeping. If you look, he was wobbled. He was kind of eyes closed. Like, just a, literally a couple more strikes, and that guy was gone. This is Beza's first professional loss. And Cianto, Cian, Santiago, who's a vet, had been out and coming back, really has that momentum back. He landed 122 strikes versus Bayes' 104. And to be honest, both of these guys are going to be a force in the division. Bayes is going to um, definitely rise, I think. And this was a promise showing, even though he did lose. He is only 28 years old. I would love to see Santiago, who's now ranked number 15 in the weight class, potentially fight Jeff Neal, who's number 10. He hasn't fought uh, Jeff Neal in his career, so this would be a, a fun fight. He has beat Neil Magny who um, is ranked number eight and who just beat Jeff Neal. So I think Jeff Neal would be an appropriate fight, climb up into that top 15 even higher. Um, and then Beza, how about him versus James Krause? Potential coach of the year. He's you know been fighting off and on. That's a, a, an exp- another experienced guy that I think would be a fun stylistic matchup. James Krause needs to be active. It's like, dude, are you coaching? you fighting? What do we got going on? So I'd love to see that fight. Um and excuse me, Santiago's 13 in the rankings, not 15. Uh, so not only did he break the 15, but he moved his way up to number 13. What a fucking fight. What a banger. Pay those guys some money. And Santiago's been fireworks since his return, so I'm excited to see what he has next. And then we had the co-main. We had Walt Harris, number 8th uh, ranked fighter in the heavyweight class versus Marcin Tibera, who was ranked 11th. Well, Tibera was able to win with the first-round TKO, and what we had talked about last week is Walt's weaknesses definitely came to fruition. You know, the big ticket needs to work on his ground game and cardio. Once he's, he gets taken down, it's over. The other guys lay on him, tire him out, and there's nothing that he could do and doesn't look even interested in standing up. He is in his later 30s. I believe he's 38. So at this point, it's like, well, do I really work on my conditioning? What do I do? Um, but he does have some power and landed some big shots that wobbled Tibera early. I ended up picking Walt on my parlay which I did obviously didn't win this week and was hoping that he could finish the fight. Uh, but overzealous, Tibera was smart, found the opening, got the takedown, and it was over from there. You can't live off first-round KOs if you're Walt Harris in this heavyweight division, right? You got to be a little bit more well-rounded. Francis Ngannou went through that, was able to uh, 
Stifle Stipe will be interesting to see what he can do against the likes of potentially John Jones and other guys in the heavyweight as DC threw him around. Uh, but if you want to be a contender, you got to be able to have some stop, and it looks like Walt Harris isn't even interested in doing so. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, Derek Lewis, those guys, I mean, they just don't like being on the ground, but they have improved their takedown defense to avoid that and are working on their counter-striking. <clears throat> so when someone goes for that attempt, they can knock them out. So Tibera, I would like uh, him potentially to fight Chris Dacus. Um, we're looking at the rankings now. Walt is now 11th and Marcin is 8th, so they just swap places in the heavyweight rankings. And then um, how about Walt fighting Sergey Pavlovich? He's ranked 14th in the division. They haven't fought yet. Uh, I don't think he's been that active recently, so that would be some fun fights. Anything in the heavyweight, heavyweight division is worth tuning in in the top 15, top 25, because anyone could knock out anyone any given day. doesn't matter if you're ranked 3 or 15. You land a punch right. Those guys are sleeping with all the power that's going behind those. And then we had the main event. Mr. Jarzinho Rosenstrike with the first round knockout of Augusto Sakai. And this is exactly how I thought it would go as well. Except Rosenstrike was the aggressor through the fight, pushing the pace. Sakai wasn't as aggressive in moving forward as he usually is. And probably because you know Rosenstrike's power. Uh, Sakai never looked comfortable within the fight. And then Jar Jarzinho finished him with one second left on the clock, which is pretty wild. I always wonder as a heavyweight if you are in those... Um, in a position to throw those power bombs if you are looking at the clock because a lot of guys, you know, three, four seconds left, they're ready to walk to the corner, especially in heavyweight because, you know, they're not, don't have the most amazing cardio and are out of shape. And if it would be a good opening to throw some power, I don't know if that was the game plan for Jarzinho, but wow, he landed and got the job done. I would love to see this fight. It's a fight I've been thinking about for a while. If we could get Mr. Rosenstrike versus Curtis Blades, who's currently ranked number fourth coming off a loss, that would be some must-see TV. Holy shit, that would be a banger. Book it up, Sean Shelby and Dana White. And then Augusto, where does he go? He is currently now ranked number nine. I don't think he moved. So basically they said you fought a top, uh, higher-level guy, you can stay here. How about him with Tom Aspinall, who's moved his way up into the rankings at 13? I think that would be another fun heavyweight fight. Good stylistic matchup. So once again, I'm doing the work for you. Book that shit up. Hey, that card was cool. We had potentially fight of the year. But we're talking UFC 263 this weekend. I ain't making plans because I know that I'm doing this. Probably kick it at the beach a little bit. Come here, have the boys over, throw some back. Because this is a deep card. We're talking early prelims. Carlos Felipe, 10 and 1, 26 years old, versus Jake the Prototype Collier, 11 and 5 at 32 years old. Well, Felipe is on an impressive two-fight win streak. Jake is on a one-fight win streak. Jake has a three and a half reach advantage, which is pretty decent. And Felipe has six of his 10 wins via knockout, so he does um, possess some serious power. And then Jake has some submission victories, so it'll be interesting to see the styles on this. If he could get Carlos to the mat, I'm sure that's going to be his game plan. He has, a, uh, has some more fights under his belt and some more tenure, so I'm sure watching film, that's going to be something that he tries to take advantage of. I don't think from recent memory that I remember Carlos Felipe going down. So, hey, going to be a fun fight. Tune in. That's on the early prelims, which let me pull it up. Early prelims, I mean as they say, usually start pretty early. 
The benefit of the pay-per-view is it always starts at 7, the main card, so they're not as early, where some of the fight nights, they will start earlier. So let me pull this up for you. And I bought Fight Pass, by the way. I think I told you guys about this to watch uh, my guy, um, Bryce Meredith fight. Definitely worth the money. Uh, I know I rewatched the Izzy uh, Marvin fight just to prepare for this and the Izzy Gastelum fight because I actually missed that fight. I was doing something that time. Uh, but highly, it's nice to have HD quality rewatching the fights versus some YouTube bullshit. The early prelims start at 3 p.m. Pacific. Uh, so are starting pretty early. You can get that action on UFC Fight Pass. I'm, I'm assuming if you have ESPN Plus, you can. It's not listed there. And then on 5 o'clock, you have the uh, prelims, which we'll be going over here in a second, on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Surprised with uh, basketball and hockey that ESPN is showing the fights. But, hey, this is a big card. It's all about that. They're all about that action. Oh, man. I jumped all the way to the, the prelims. What am I doing? We're still in the early prelims. Excuse me. Excuse me. We got a guy local, to, uh, t- close to where I'm from, in Enumclaw, Washington, the young gun, we got Chase the Dream Hooper, who's 9-1-1, only 21 years old. Imagine fighting in the UFC at 21. When I think of what I was doing at 21, I had moved out here, was just busting my ass, working like six days a week, 12-hour days. So, I mean, he's grinding too, but in the fight world, that's a pretty crazy thing to be doing. Um, he's fighting Steven the Ocho Peterson, who is 17-9 and 31 years old. Uh, Hooper has a four-inch reach advantage, although he is not known to be a deadly striker. Um, Steven has a black belt in BJJ. So does Chase. Very impressive at 21. I look forward to Chase's improved striking, um, as that's obviously the focus. Hopefully he gets the job done here, as I don't have a lot of intel on Steven Peterson. Um, But the last fight, Hooper was kind of getting his ass whipped and landed a heel hook. Um, so he is very smooth on the ground, has great jujitsu. So this one will be a fun one in the early prelims. Got to tune in for Mr. Chase Hooper. Um, and then we have a ranked fighter in the early prelims. We have Panny Bonsai Kianzad, who's the number 11th ranked fighter, 14 and five record. And she's 29 years old versus Alexis Davis. Who's 20 and 10 with, a, uh, and 36 years old. Panny's on a three fight win streak. She's an ultimate fighter alum. If you remember when the Ultimate Fighter started with the women's back in the day, she lost to Macy Chiasin in the finale. She has a boxing and wrestling background and a purple belt in BJJ. And Alexis herself is on a one-fight win streak. She has fought and lost to killers like uh, Vivian, Jennifer Maya, Caitlin Chukagian. She even beat Amanda Nunez in Strikeforce back in 2011, which Amanda Nunez improved a lot in the UFC to become the GOAT. I have no idea what her skill level was in the strike force days, uh, but she also has a black belt in BJJ. So she is a vet, right? She's uh, 36 years old. She's fought all the top level competition here. And Penny's really entering her prime. Um, I believe she gets the job done and is going to, this is going to be a very close matchup. I think she's going to be able to tire out Alexis and, and, and bust through her guard. I'd assume Penny wants to keep it on the feet and Alexis is going to look to take her down for a submission. So if she does get taken down, it'll be interesting to see how, how Penny can manage. Uh, but this will be a fun fight in the early prelims with a ranked fighter in the women's division. And Penny, if she wins this fight, she could really continue to climb into the top 10, potentially even get a rematch with Macy Chiasin, who is ranked, let's see, number nine. Um... But yeah, I mean, this is going to be a fun one. Alexis Davis is the real deal. 
Holyfield. So watch out. This will be an interesting fight. I don't think I will have any of these fights in my, my parlay. Is they're all pretty close fights. Maybe Carlos Felipe. Um, I know he's the favorite, but yeah, this panty fight's definitely a 50-50 fight. So now we're in the prelims. Look at that. Three good fights in the early prelims. We got Mozar Ivloev, number 14th ranked fighter with a 14-0 record versus, uh, and he's 27, and he's fighting Hakeem Mean Dawudo, his middle, his nickname's Mean, uh, the 15th ranked fighter in the division with a 12-1-1 record, and he's 29 years old. So two young guys, you know, barely in their prime or entering their prime, ranked in the top 15. This is going to be fireworks. Uh, Dawudo himself has finished 7 of 12 wins via knockout. He has some seriously stri- uh, unorthodox striking power and, and, and finesse. He has a Muay Thai and kickboxing background. Or Mosar fights out of AT&T, American top team, and has a wrestling background with four submissions. So this is another striker versus wrestler. will be interesting to see how that matches up. Um, you know, he's going to look to take Hakeem down and will need to, as I think Hakeem does have the striking advantage and will be mixing up kicks to stop that takedown. Um, and hey, watch out, potential head kick damage here. The winner of this fight is going to be right in the mix of the featherweight division. I mean, right in the mix. And these are some very young, promising prospects um, with a lot of veteran names uh, listed up higher above them in the rankings. Lots of young prospects in the featherweight division in general, but um, I like Hakeem Dawudo. I think he's going to get the job done. I'm putting him in on my parlay. Again, though, another 50-50 fight. I mean, it's fighting. Anyone can get knocked out any given night. And then back on the women's side of things, we got Lauren Lucky Murphy, the number third ranked fighter with a 13-4 record. She's 37 years old. Versus Joanne JoJo Calderwood. She's number six ranked fighter with a 15-5 record at 34 years old. These are both Ultimate Fighter alums from back in the day. Murphy sports a brown belt in BJJ, while JoJo is a blue belt. Uh, she also has a Muay Thai background. Murphy's on a four-fight win streak, and JoJo is on a one-fight win streak over a very good win over Jessica I. This is going to be a fun slugfest as both fighters shoot for another shot at the title. They need to gain this momentum to have another shot at contention. But I'm going with JoJo. I think... Uh, you know, she's a little bit more spry, a little bit more tough, and I think she's going to get the job done. But both of these girls has fought, have fought most of the women in this division, and uh, it will be fun to see who comes out on top and ha- vaults themselves into contention. And then we have Drew Dober headlining the prelims, the number 13th ranked fighter with a 23-10 and 10 record, who's 32 years old, versus Brad the Quake Riddell, who has a 9-1 record at 29 years old. Both guys right in their prime. Uh, Riddell fights out of Izzy's camp. If you watch the um, uh, Embedded series, they're talking very highly of this guy. He's on a six-fight win streak with three of them in the UFC. He has a kickboxing background and purple belt in BJJ. And then Dober coming off a pretty nasty loss with Islam, who just took him down and wrestled and grinded him out. Khabib treatment. Um, he has a brown belt in BJJ and black belt in Taekwondo. He is dangerous on his feet. I think this is going to be potential one of the fights of the night. I think stylistically, both of these guys are going to come and throw down. Look for a fight of the night awards as Dober needs to gain that momentum and Brad's really trying to pull vault himself into the rankings. This is a big step up in competition for Adele, though, who has five of nine wins via uh, KO. But I'm going with Drew Dober, the more experienced guy. 
think this is a little bit too high a competition for Adele this early, but everyone speaks highly of them. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets the job done. This is a banger alert, but I'm taking Drew Dober in my parlay. And then the main card, the main events. We got Paul the Bear Jew Craig, number 14th ranked fighter, 13-4-1 record. He's 33. Versus Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, the 15th ranked fighter, undefeated with a 7-0 record and 30 years old. This is another banger. This could very well be fight of the night. Uh, Hill has a 3-inch reach advantage, a blue belt in BJJ, and four of his eight wins are via knockout. While Craig has a brown belt in BJJ, 12 of his 14 wins via submission, a two-fight win streak. But don't let the submissions fool you. He can throw. He does have good striking on the feet. Uh, but I think Jamal definitely is going to have the power advantage, which has him with that undefeated record. But yeah, I mean, this is going to be a fun fight. I see Jamal trying to land some big shots early. Paul does have a tough chin. He usually rocks that beard for, you know, I don't know how much cushion that really has after Cody Garbrandt. You know, it's, I feel like there's more than there probably is. But hey, he's got a good chin. Um, Hill has big power and is coming off a finish of um, Oliver or OSP, who moved up to heavyweight, which is tough competition, uh, St. Peru. So yeah, I mean, this is going to be fun. I bet Craig looks to take him down, looks for that submission after he fills a couple of those big bombs. Uh, but this is going to be an awesome fight. I can't wait. I'm taking Jamal Hill. I did go back and forth on this one a couple times, but I'm taking Jamal. I believe he's actually the favorite, and I'll be putting him in my parlay. And then the guy that I was talking shit on a few weeks ago, we got Damian Maya. He's back. I was talking shit on him because he's ranked number nine. I felt like he was taking that spot, and other people deserved it, as he hasn't fought in a while. You know, he's strictly a... I, I guess I can't say that. He has some striking and has landed some shit, but he's strictly a ground game guy. So we have Damian Maya, the number ninth ranked fighter with a 28 and 10 record, who's 43 years old, versus Bilal, remember the name, Muhammad, number 12th ranked fighter with an 18 and 3 record. He's 32 years old. Bilal has a purple belt in BJJ. He was on a four fight win streak before that eye poke not that long ago against Leon Edwards. And, uh,. Maya is a fifth-degree black belt in BJJ. So when I say he's only one-sided, you know, he does have striking, but he is so goddamn good on the ground, he could finish you from anywhere. He's really a jiu-jitsu legend. He has won ADCC, which is one of the biggest competitions that only comes around every other year. Uh, he's also won the CBJJ, and 14 of his 28 wins are via submission. Maya hasn't fought since losing to Gilbert Burns in March of 2020, uh, which, yeah... I mean, I, if Gilbert Burns would have lost to Maya, my head would have exploded. Uh, but Maya gets it to the ground. You never know. I'm going with Bilal Muhammad. He's looking to keep that momentum going after the eye poke, which he wanted to beat Leon Edwards anyways. Uh, but it'll be good to see him get in the win column, hopefully kick Damian Maya out of the rankings and into retirement. And then my guy, we got Leon Rocky Edwards, the number third ranked fighter, 18 and three record, 29 years old versus Nate Diaz. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. 21 and 12 record, 36 years old. First off, I'm so happy for Leon getting this fight after being in purgatory. Nobody wanting to fight him. Coronavirus, traveling issues, and then the eye poke. So he's able to do that, look impressive in Bilal before the eye poke, and land probably the biggest name that everybody wants to land. I mean, um, Dustin Poirier had been talking about this. Connors talked about another fight. Everyone wants Nate Diaz. This is the guy that everybody wants to see. 
And he gets a chance to showcase his talent in the five-round fight. Nate Diaz, uh, if you haven't seen Nate Diaz fight, he comes on in the later rounds. Unless you're fighting Jorge Masvidal, he got clearly pieced up in that one. But he likes those five-round fights. He'll only negotiate five rounds. And as fight fans, this isn't even the co-main or the main or a title fight. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be fireworks. To be honest, I'm not even sure why Diaz took this fight. As Leon is no joke. Maybe he thought he was the easiest pickings at a higher-ranked fighter to get an opportunity to fight for a contention or title. I don't know if he even cares about that. Nate Diaz is a gangster. Certified gangster. Don't give no fucks. Uh, but I'm happy that this fight is happening. As a fight fan, I'm a little uh, kid on Christmas. Um, let's talk a little bit about the matchup. So Edwards has a purple belt in BJJ. Diaz is a southpaw fighter, as we all know, and a second-degree black belt in BJJ. He's a wizard on the ground, even though he likes to throw hands. And Diaz is an ultimate fighter OG. I mean OG, who has been one of the biggest tickets in UFC history, even though He's barely a top 10 ranked fighter. You know, he doesn't fight for the title. He just delivers it every time. And on the mic, he's hilarious. Um, he's fun to watch. He loves to brawl and he gets fight stronger as the fighter goes on. Maybe his nickname should be Rocky versus Leon. Um, the problem is, is I think Edwards just has the cardio to go five if needed. But I think potentially, I mean, Diaz is past his prime. No offense to Diaz. But Leon's going to come in hot, and this is his opportunity to fight for the title. It might not need to go all five. I'm interested to see what the odds are on round finishes, as I'll probably throw down on some of those. But I'm putting in Leon Edwards in my parlay, and I can't wait to be glued for this one. Um, Edwards is on a fight, eight-fight win streak um, before that no contest with Bilal, uh, which, as I've mentioned multiple times, would have been a win in my book. Um like I said, if Edwards wins this, he has to ha be pole vaulted into title contention, I would assume. I mean, he was trying to, you know, spin it on the, after the Muhammad fight. He deserved it anyways. Um, but I'm not sure what Diaz wants as him and his bro just come and go whenever they please. So it's an intriguing fight. I'm interested to see what Diaz sees and how he tries to stylistically match up against Leon. And then in the co-main, we have a rematch of potentially one of the best fights of all time. If anything, the best fight fight in flyweight history. We have Divison Figueredo, the champion, with a 20-1 record. He's 33 years old. Versus Brandon, the assassin baby Moreno, the number one ranked fighter, sporting an 18-5-1 record. Um, and he's 27 years old. Hasn't even entered his prime, while Figueredo is right in, right in his prime. Uh, Divison's a black belt in BJJ. He is also on a five-fight win streak, not counting the draw. Uh, Moreno is ultimate fighter alum and a black belt in BJJ himself. I don't know. I was very impressed with Moreno in this in that last fight. I thought he was going to get knocked out. He obviously showed the cardio, this and that. But Figueredo did take this fight two weeks later after he had won, was battling some sickness, didn't get to travel back home because of COVID, and now he has a full fight camp to focus, get his mind right. It looks like in the embedded, he's taking cardio very seriously. I think he's going to get KO'd this time, even though he does sport a good chin. I want to root for Brandon. I want to take him, but Divison is a certified killer. Um, I mean, I, I just can't see anybody beating this guy in that division right now. So I'm going to go with Divison. I'm putting him in my parlay, but I hope if anything, this fight's as good as the last one was, but we don't have a draw. The big thing with the draw last time was Divison got knocked a point for a low, uh, I think it was a low kick, which Brandon made seem like a very big deal, so they deducted a point. 
but he did continue to fight, so it couldn't have been that bad. Uh, but that fight, I think, or that point uh, taken away from Devison ended up leading to the draw. But regardless, I think we we're going to get a rematch anyway. This is what fight fans want, so let's go. Um, I guess I did have one more thing here. You know, like, hey, what can Marino do to change the game? He did so well all around. Like, I just don't know what else he could bring to the table unless he could just somehow bring some extra knockout power to finish Devison um, or better cardio to outlast him. I'm not sure. But again, I think Devison will focus on that cardio, so I don't see any way Moreno's going to uh, find an opening for the victory. And then the main event, another rematch. This is the UFC card of rematches. We have Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya, who is the champion with a 20-1 record and 31 years old, versus Marvin, the Italian dream, Vittori, who sports a 17-4-1 record at 27 years old. Izzy has a kickboxing and boxing background, a purple belt in BJJ. Marvin has a brown belt in BJJ and has won all five fights since the first loss to Izzy. You know, I think Izzy's really going to be hungry after that loss to Jan Blakovich. I think it shows that he's not invincible. He has a 21-20-1 record because he did lose going up to try to be champ champ. Um, and, you know, Blakovich is a bigger version of Vittori. He likes him to take people down. He likes to um, grind people out. And I assume, you know, Marvin says he doesn't want to, but that's his only way to victory here. And last time he wasn't able to keep Izzy down. He wasn't able to do a lot up top uh, while on top. So, yeah, I'm not too sure if he wants to mix some things up on the feet, throw some different looks at Izzy. But Izzy's too fast. He doesn't have a lot of weaknesses besides, you know, potentially being da uh, taken down and, and held up. Um, but I'm sure he's been focused on that since the loss to Blakovich. Um, you know the competitor in Izzy. He's looking to improve on his weaknesses. So I'm not going to be able to just pick Marvin here. I really like Marvin, and I think he has a lot of potential. Sometimes there's just better guys ahead of you, right? Just look at Jorge Masvidal. I'm sorry, you got Usman, right? There's just really good competition in the UFC, and Izzy's one of those guys that's just elite. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Izzy in this one. I think it's going to be a blast of a fight as both fighters try to mix new things in, and I just can't wait to see Izzy step up, right? He is only 31. After his first loss, how does he rebound? I'm putting my money on a good rebound. I'm going with Izzy on the parlay. Book that shit up, but I can't wait for this fight card. And then upcoming next, we have another banger of a fight night. We got the Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige. Can't wait for that one. We'll talk about that next week. But let's switch gears. It's playoffs time. I got the I got the jersey on. Let's talk NBA playoffs. I really wish I could sing for you guys because the only thing going through my mind with my jazz and the whole NBA playoffs is super exciting this year because we don't have the perennial powerhouse teams. I mean, the Nets are. They're new without Harden, though. There's questions. But the only thing that plays through my head is the like Mike. We're playing basketball song. It cracks me up, but I'm not going to sing and, and pain you guys here. So let's talk into some headlines. Terry Stotts, as expected, fired. You know, supposedly Dame is getting safe for their new hire. Uh, Jason Kidd had, uh, had actually opted out of the job. He doesn't isn't interested in coaching there. So supposedly Chauncey Billups is a favorite for the running and uh, an opening of this position. That would be very interesting. I love me some Chauncey Billups. I'm sure he could figure out some good things with our guard play. But again, Portland, Portland has a lot of different things they need to take advantage of uh, to make a move as they're just constantly a middle-of-the-pack team. And that's hard as a franchise. Do you want to constantly be a middle-pack team, have your loyalty with your superstars, or do you want to try to make moves to be relevant? As a Jazz fan, I can only relate 
And that's why I'm massively excited for this year as we do have that chance. Uh, James Harden officially out game two. Shit, the Nets probably should just sit him out the rest of the series the way the first two games have gone. You know, obviously that's home. Home teams are expected to win. Now they have two in Milwaukee. Game three is going to show everything. Um, or excuse me, Harden out of game three. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, he didn't play game two either after playing a minute in game one. But yeah, it doesn't seem like they need him. So let his, let his hamstring rest for sure. And then some official award announcements. Tom Thibodeau, coach of the year. Kind of a questionable thing. Obviously, I'm biased to my guy. Um, obviously, Monty Williams had won the most first place votes, but didn't win the overall award. Um, the players and his peers voted Monty, Monty Williams the award that I announced a couple of weeks ago. Hey, props to Tom Thibodeau, what he did with New York. I mean, that's insane. But at the same time, look at what the other coaches have done. Uh, Monty flipped around a Spurs team with the help of Chris Paul from non-playoff team to potentially Western favorite. And then my guy has been helping the Jazz with the number one overall seed improvement over the past few years and has really helped develop the culture for the Jazz. So, yeah, I think that was a weird choice. But, hey, props to Tom Thibodeau. This one's not a weird choice. Nikola Jokic voted MVP. This was just announced a few minutes ago. Um, props to him. I, I saw that coming. I mean, with Embiid's injury, I thought it was a pretty clear-cut thing. Um, but awesome to see the big man with all the great play he had provided the Nuggets this year to win the award. So let's talk action that happened since last week. Obviously, last week was a little bit bigger of a pod because I had procrastinated and delayed, didn't put the show out until Friday, where here we are early in the week on a Tuesday, pumping out some content for you guys. Last week, on over the weekend, Game 6 on Friday, after I filmed the last episode, Everything got interesting, right? I mean, nobody hit one home court, and then Game 7, things got changed. But in Game 6, it was all Kawhi Leonard. I had tweeted out and told people Kawhi is not going to go out like that after you know the not great play and then airballing the game-winning shot, which he shouldn't have shot. Um, and yeah, he put his team on his back. I mean, he had 45 points and 6 rebounds on 25 shots. That's some superstar shit right there. And then Reggie Jackson inserted in the lineup, continues to do well. He had 25 points and 9 assists. Uh, Paul George with 20-13 and 6. As eventually didn't do anything in Game 5, this was all superstar and starter time. And then Luka in the loss, 29 points on 24 shots. They had put Kawhi on Luka defensively for part of the game. Obviously, that showed that's not a very efficient or highest scoring game as Luka had been uh, you know, used to. But he also has been putting the team on his back, battled the the... I don't know what you want to call it, the shocker in his neck or whatever you went through. Um, so I'm sure, you know, some exhaustion has started to kick in. Tim Hardaway Jr. did have 23 points, and Porzingis only 7 points, 5 rebounds in 31 minutes. Just doesn't make sense how they can't insert this guy into the lineup. He could shoot, he could move. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just weird. Is it more Porzingis? Is it more the team? Is it more Luka wanting the ball all the time? Who knows, but they better figure it out or they're going to blow it, you know, get him out of there. So let's move to Game 7. I wanted Game 7. That's all I could ask for. As a Jazz fan, tire both franchises out. As a Jazz fan, I talked to you guys about wanting the Mavericks to win. But logically, I picked the Clippers. I put them in a parlay. Didn't end up winning the parlay. Um, but yeah, I had, a, I had a feeling they'd close out at home. If Kawhi can put the team on his back like he did Game 6, I thought it would be slight work. Well, in this game, all five Mavericks starters over double digits. Luka had 46, 7, and 14. And the Clippers with double had seven players with double digits. 
Kawhi didn't have to do as much. He did have a nice line, 28, 10, and 9, just short of the triple-double. Um, but some of the guys that hadn't showed up showed up. Marcus Morris, 23 points, shooting 7 of 9 from 3 was huge. PG with a 22, 6, and 10 line. And then off the bench, some guys that hadn't really been a part of the rotation, Terrence Mann and Luke, Luke Kennard had double digits off the bench, which was huge for them in the victory. And you could tell the Mavs just didn't have much left in, in the fourth quarter. The Mavs shot 27% from three, while the Clippers shot 46%. And then Luka is now tied for 20th all-time in career playoff games. 20th all-time in career playoff games over 40 points. He has only played in a dozen playoff games. This guy is the white LeBron James. I'm telling you, he's the future of basketball. No, it's not Zion. No, it's not anybody else but Luka Doncic. And uh, this playoff run was very impressive. You know, I told you guys I'd pick the Clippers to represent the West. I had expected them to manage the Mavericks very well as it's a one-man show. But when your one man's putting up these kind of lines, 46-7 and 14 in a game seven, consistently over 40 points within the playoffs, I mean, that is going to be tough to stop. He is only 22 years old. Don't forget, he is the future. He's been a professional since he was 18-17 overseas, and he's a blast to watch. I would have loved to see him in person, but now I get to see Kawhi and PG. I haven't seen them either, so I'm not mad about it. So that was the end of round one. Round two, Bucks and Nets started over the weekend. I had the Nets in six, um, but I didn't also foresee James Harden going out. I also didn't foresee what happened the first few games here. Um, the way this ended, I mean, it could be four or five, but we'll dive in. Um, game one, the story is really that I talked about. Can the Bucks score enough outside Giannis? I expected Giannis to put up stupid lines and take over, which he has not. And, you know, can they score enough? Well, they shot 20% from three, so that's not a very great start. Giannis did put up 34-11 and 11 game one. Lopez had 19, and Drew Holiday had 17, 9, and 6, but on 19 shots, so not very efficiently. They could not find the basket in game one, and Giannis with 34 points is very respectable, but if they do want to beat the Nets, he's got to be putting up 40-plus like Luka did. KD in game one had 29-10 and 10 on 25 shots, so decent game, not as efficient from him either. Um, obviously, Harden left with, after one minute, you know, hamstring issues, clearly couldn't feel himself. So, you know, we'll see if he even shows up the rest of the series. And then Kyrie at 25. And meanwhile, Blake Griffin, all of a sudden, a pivotal piece in the rotation, 18 points, 14 rebounds, catching lobs, slamming on people, diving on the court. You can't write this shit up. I mean, he was in basketball purgatory in Detroit, so can you blame him? People are like, he can't dunk no more. His knees are shot. Well, apparently he can, and the Nets knew that, and a great signing by the Nets. I couldn't imagine if these guys had LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, they just got stacked towards the end of the year. I mean, Jeff Green being out, if he was in, this team would have probably damn near five, six games their way through the playoffs. And then game two. Not a lot to say about game two. Uh, this is kind of like what Milwaukee did to her, the Heat early on. I mean, this is over after 10 minutes. Uh, you can look at the body language in Milwaukee. They just look defeated. Uh, still haven't seen that killer mentality from the Greek freak. He's got to be able to be dominant, and he knows that, and he knew that signing back with Milwaukee. Drew's an improvement. You know, they have a, a point guard and playmaker now, but he's got to be able to deliver over a high-octane offense like the Nets. He put up 18 and 11 in this game, which wasn't very high. I'm assuming his minutes were down. I didn't write it down or have it in front of me. 
uh, because of the blowout. 18 points on 15 shots. He shot 0 for 3 from deep. They were taking, you know, they weren't moving the ball, finding open shots. It would help if he could shoot from three, but he's got to be better than that. As the superstar of the team, you got you to gotta shoulder the blame. You got to help the team with the fire, the culture, the mentality, even when they're down. And yeah, I mean, after the first, you know, 10 minutes, it just, it was a, it was a tough game. I, I tuned out. KD had 32 points on 18 shots. That's the KD sniper we know. And Kyrie with 22, five and six in the game two victory. Milwaukee's got to have a massive response to game three. This has to be a, you know, we can do it two moment. And I just don't know if they have enough firepower to do so. They would need to be having Bobby Portis shooting threes well. Giannis dominating 40 plus points. Drew's got to be able to get, you know, 20, 30 points. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, at this point, it's going to be hard for me to even give a game to Milwaukee. Uh, KD's only getting better as time goes on. Kyrie and him getting more, you know, they what have they played? 15, 16 games together as a core unit, and James Harden's not even there. So uh, shit's crazy. There's just so much talent. Moving on, we got the Hawks and the Sixers. Game one, baby, and this is coming on tonight, right? It is now 4 o'clock. The game starts at 4.30. I'm filming this shit so I could watch some playoff basketball, smoke a cigar, eat some dinner. I'm chilling, chilling. Uh, but Embiid surprisingly did start. I was talking about a torn meniscus. They said slight tear of the meniscus. A meniscus tear is savage. The fact that the seven-footer can play and play well, I was not betting on that happening. Uh, you know, is it a torn meniscus though? Like I want to see the shit. Cause if he's doing this on torn meniscus, he's tougher than people think. Um, the Hawks shot the lights out though. 43% from three, uh, the 76ers make a run late, but it just wasn't enough. You know, if they could defend the perimeter better, maybe Philly has a chance to win. I'm actually picking them to win tonight. Game two. The fact that they were barely down at the end of the game when Atlanta had such a good game is a little bit of a surprise to me. But winning game one on the road is huge. you got to give props to the Hawks. Ice Trey, um, he took over. He had 35 and 10. John Collins and Bogdan Bogdanovich both had 21. So all their star players came up to, uh, to play. And Kevin Herter off the bench, 15, 15 points. So this Hawks team could shoot. They have some playmakers. Uh, probably caught Philly by surprise a little bit. Joel did have 39 and 9 off the injury. But the Hawks definitely attacked him on defense as, you know, he's not as mobile as he usually is. Um, he looked, you know, can't say this enough. He looked healthier and better than I expected. We'll see how, you know, the swelling does or whatever they're saying is going on with him for, for game two. Um, but Ben Simmons, man, you got to step it up. For Philly's sake, if you're a Philly fan, you got to pray that this guy figures it out. 17 points, 10 assists. Well, Shane, that's not that bad of a line. Sure, but five turnovers. And we're talking this guy's supposed to be a superstar. Superstars shoot and take over games to win playoff matchups. Game one at home and beat hurt. You put up 17 points. You do five turnovers. This is not a superstar um, response, in my opinion. And Seth Curry outscored him. He had 21 points on five of nine from three. That's all he really did was shoot threes. But hey, they're going to need a lot more of that. Tobias was respectable with a 20 and 10 in the defeat. Again, I have Tobias as a, a, you know, the number two in this team. Um, ben Simmons needs to step off defensively. Supposedly, he, he should be in the defensive player of the year ranking. So put him on Trey Young and slow the man down. Bogdanovich with the big dagger three in this game, right as the Phillies are making a uh, the Phillies. Uh, the 76ers are making a run. 
Um, but when he's shooting well, the Hawks are going to be hard to beat, especially if John Collins can put up 20-plus points and, and double-digit rebounds. I would assume those goes down if Joel does get healthier. You know, maybe it's more of a nagging injury and gets worse, but time will tell. Time will tell. I can't wait for game two in Philly tonight. And then last night, game one, Suns versus Nuggets, another Western Conference battle. The Suns came out hot. Uh, the second half, they really took over. was a close game the first half and second half. Monty Williams coached him up. Chris Paul coached him up or something because they came out with a vengeance. All five starters had double digits. Bridges, Aiton, CP3, Booker, all over 20 points. This was great team basketball. This reminded me a little bit of what the Jazz do. They're moving the ball well. They're finding their open shots, playing good defense. We're aggressive, and that's what you want to do to defend home court. Um, big game for the Suns. And how about my Nova boy, Mikel Bridges, shooting four for eight from three, playing the three and D. This guy is going to turn into a star and is going to get a massive payday. I love watching him hoop. Jokic had 22 and nine in defeat, while Aaron Gordon did put up a respectable 18, was playing some big time defense. But the Nuggets need more from Joker, right? He's the MVP. They got to have more from him. Obviously, Aiton's a big body, able to affect him a little bit. And Monte Morris, who was huge in round one, off the bench, one for 10. That's not going to cut it. They need some scoring off the bench as the Suns are a deep team. We just talked about some of the guys that played well. So let's move to my squad. We got Jazz. We got Clippers. You know, originally coming in, I thought Nets Bucks was going to be the best. Uh, I think I'm a little wrong on that one. I'm going to go with Jazz Clippers especially because Conley's out game one. That news broke this morning about broke my damn heart. He was playing such good basketball. He's pivotal for their success. And he was huge in the regular season in the matchups against the Clippers, which they had won two games to one, but no team was really fully healthy. People were on minutes restrictions. Some superstars were out, some weren't. Um, but the big issue for Salt Lake is who's going to stop Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi did this in Toronto. He's being known as one of the best players in the world best two-way player. I just don't know how they're going to stop Kawhi. Can you stop Kawhi? No, you let Rudy stay down low. You affect his his movement. You affect his shots, the Gobert effect, and you put someone to trail him and try to slow the guy down. You know, they did really have to grind out that series in Dallas. They've played a ton of minutes. Their superstars have played a ton of minutes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Kawhi does defensively, right? Donovan is known for taking over a second half, fourth quarter of games, are they going to have just Pat Bev, which Reggie Jackson was the better player in round one based off matchups? Do they keep Bev on Donovan? Do they put Kawhi on Donovan? So those those chess pieces are going to be interesting to see how they play out. I still am going with the Clippers in seven. This is for you, the podcast people, business and buckets fan. I'm trying to be logical. Obviously, I do not want to say that. But with the health concerns of Utah, I mean, Conley's not playing. When is he going to play? right? Without Conley, it's going to be hard. Um, Donovan's still coming off that ankle injury. I, I'm not sure how he's going to f uh, f uh, fate up against a better defensive team than the Memphis Grizzlies, who are a very young team. So, you know, there's just too many risks there for me to pick the Jazz. I'm going to game five, though, so it needs to at least happen five. With the, the tiredness and the exhaustion of those games, right, they played on Sunday. Now they're playing Tuesday, um, then they have to play, or what? what's the date today? It's Tuesday, right? 
Jesus, I don't even know what day it is. Yeah, Tuesday. Um, but they're playing every other day. So maybe that helps. Uh, Utah is going to be a sold-out crowd. It is full capacity. So, you know, if they could pull out game one, things will, will be different. Uh, but this is going to be tough to win game one without Mr. Mike Conley. Now, I can't wait to see the lineups because a lot of teams, you know, that think they could beat the Jazz will try to do small ball and put Gobert out on the perimeter. So I'm interested to see it, you know, and I'm sure it'll change through the series. If they'll start Zubak, if they want to keep Morris down at the center, and if he shoots like he did game seven, holy shit, uh, I don't expect that to happen. But it's going to be fun. Uh, Royce is going to be playing defense and shadowing Kawhi. They need him to shoot threes. Is he going to be tired from chasing Kawhi Leonard down all the time? And then Ingles show-stopped Paul George already. He could do it again. Uh, but Ingles is off the bench, so who do they have uh, guard uh, PG in the starting lineup. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Bogdanovich does defensively. Teams like to attack him, and they need him to be huge in game one with Mike Conley out. He needs to be putting up like 30 points. So you tune in, and Bogdanovich is getting buckets early. Great sign for the Jazz. If he's nowhere to be found, it's going to be an interesting night. We know the Clippers' potential. I picked them out of the West, right? They're deep. They have quiet. I mean, it comes down to quiet. I mean, you got to pick superstars when you're picking teams in the playoffs because those are the guys that make a difference, right? That's why I don't pick the Sixers because I don't believe in Ben Simmons. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but this is a chance for my guy, this guy right here, Donovan Mitchell, to really leapfrog himself into superstardom. If he can put the team on his back and take over games late, he is going to be up in some big-time competition, and especially if he can will his team into the West Conference Finals or Championship. But how is his conditioning, right? I, I mean, he looked great against Memphis, but not to knock Memphis, but they're not the Clippers, right? Um, so how is his, you know, when you come off injury too, how are you mentality-wise? Can you make the cuts and the dunks and the things that you usually do without second-guessing yourself? That's got to be quick rhythm. That's got to be all those reps you practice at the gym. No questioning yourself. So, there's just a lot of questions here. Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench. He's got to be the flamethrower that he is that won the Sixth Man of the Year award. He came in today with the Kobe jersey, right? He played with Kobe in the Lakers. He was drafted there. Him and all those young Lakers that got kicked off the team. I hope he has that Mamba mentality. You know, we're going to need him to shoot. And whether he's breaking, he need to keep shooting. We got to get these buckets. If the Jazz can shoot their, you know, these are two of the best three-point shooting teams. So, uh, the Jazz are going to live and die by the three ball without Conley, in my opinion. And uh, Clarkson's got to be a pivotal part of that coming off the bench um, because that bench unit could really take advantage of the L.A. Clippers unit unless Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard keep playing a high level, which I'm not betting on. Now, some fun drama in this series. The Clippers had lost some games towards the end of the year to supposedly avoid the Lakers but also that could be seen as they wanted to face the Jazz, right? They wanted to face the Jazz versus the Suns or the Lakers or whoever else come out of the other half of the bracket. The Jazz players are aware of this, right? Use that as a chip on your shoulder. Any chip on your shoulder you can get to fucking attack. They were also underdogs against Lob City version of Clippers with CP3, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. Those guys, they beat them and surprised and shocked the world. So let's run it back. Let's do it. Um... But yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see Kawhi and PG off all those minutes, how fresh they look. But it's really going to come down to Bogdanovich and, and Clarkson for me. Uh, I think those will be the big difference makers. And it'll be interesting to see how they line up um, because the Jazz are better. So maybe 
you know, the Jazz are better than the Mavericks were shooting and all around. So if, if the Mavs can push them that far, why can't the Jazz, even without Conley game one? You know, hopefully that's all it is. It's not multiple games because then that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the Jazz are a step up. So this is going to be a fun series, and I expect this to be a long, deep series. That's playoff basketball, baby. Tune in. It's going to be wild. Both games on TNT tonight. Love hearing the TNT crew talk about the matchups and the games. But let's move on as there's more playoffs in the hockey world. And we got MLB pumping out strong. In the baseball world, Evan Longoria out four to six weeks. Tough for the division-leading San Francisco Giants as he had been playing very good ball. But hopefully he can return. You know, he's a little bit older, so... It'll be interesting to see how that manage, uh, how they manage him coming back. And then Tony LaRussa, second all-time for wins by a manager, coming back to uh, manage the White Sox, which are a very skilled team, a little bit of mix of experience and youth. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you know baseball, you know Tony LaRussa, but that's a huge, huge uh, thing for him, second all-time. Let's see who's the leader. I didn't even look at that. What baseball manager has most wins all time you gotta love google connie mack 3731 wins he has over a thousand more wins than tony la Russa. that is going to be a challenge in itself but he passes john mcgraw holds the second spot props to you mr la Russa. as an angel fan mike trout still no timetable for a turn most likely they're saying after the all-star break Tough news for Angel fans. You gotta, you want to have a healthy team. You want to have an opportunity. And they find themselves all the way back at 28 and 32, six and a half games out of the AL West. So, yeah, they're digging themselves a hole. And without Trout, it's going to be hard to be able to revive themselves. Except for Shohei Otani, the two-way animal that's front-running MVP. So we'll see what happens. The Mariners send down the number one prospect, Jared Kalenic, after going 0 for 39 in the majors. Tough start to the majors. You can't mentally destroy the kid, so I don't blame him. I just went to a Rainiers game in Tacoma, so wish he would have been there when I was there. Um, but yeah, tough for the Mariners as they really hoped he could uh, revitalize their offense. And then the Blue Jays are actually extending their stay in Buffalo through July 21st. Uh, so, you know, they'll be playing in that park and Vladdy's just destroying the ball out there. And then, like I said, I did go to that Rainiers game to watch one man, Joe Adele. He put on a show. It was fireworks night. He was fireworks. First at bat, 474 bomb. I put it on my Instagram, just straight no doubter. He did a cool little bat, bat toss. That was fun. Hits another home run and a double. Scores four of the B's eight runs in the victory. That was a successful minor league trip, if you ask me. Cheap beer, good people, lots of fun. Little good fireworks show, but Adele, I, I yelled to the manager, call him up. He's embarrassing the kids out here. I know they want him to improve, and he kind of did what Kalenic did, had a tough start to the majors, but he looks ready to me. He's just toying with these pitchers in AAA. Um, I would love to see him in the Angels outfield, as I think he's a better option than what we're putting out there. So looking at some standings and stats updates, standings are pretty similar. Obviously, I, you know I did the podcast just a couple days ago. The Brewers are leading the division now by half a game over the Cubs. Uh, interesting to see the Brew crew up top. And let's talk some stats leaders, right? We're, we're getting in here. It is June. Bat batting leaders, we have Nick Castellanos batting 359, 
This guy got a contract, still feel like he's very underrated. He's out there cranking. And his fellow Reds teammate, Jesse Winker, hitting a 350, which when the league average is so low, these guys are really performing. And Vladimir Guerrero is not all pop. He's batting a 333 himself, while Adam Frazier out of Pittsburgh continually hits at a high average with a 332. And Yuri Guriel with a 325 average, 325. Top five in the MLB. Pitching leaders, Aaron Savale out of Cleveland leading with eight wins. Tied with Julio Urice of the Dodgers and Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals, who supposedly is going to be out until All-Star break. I have him on his, my fantasy team. He has an oblique injury, so tough break for the cards. Kevin Gossman, the ace that we talked about last week, uh, up there with seven, and Clayton Kershaw with seven as well. And then when it comes to dingers, we got Vlad up top by himself, just like his dad, 18 homers. Winker, Tatis Jr., Acuna Jr., and Adelis Garcia, the big hitting guy, coming out of nowhere this year. Uh, with all of them have 17, Garcia has 16. And when we're talking about ERA, how about DeGrom? I told you guys it's going to be record-breaking season. 0.62 ERA thus far. Insane, insane. And then the other guy we'll talk about is Kevin Gossman with that 127. Did not see that coming. Did not see Kevin Gossman turning into an ace. Outside of that, saves leader, we have Mark Melancon. He has 19 saves. Alex Reyes for the Cardinals with 16. Liam Hendricks, the shutout closer for the White Sox now with 15. Craig Kimbrell still delivering with 14 saves. And Matt Barnes of the Red Sox for 14. And we'll also talk stolen bases. Whit Merrifield, the speedy utility man in Kansas City, leading with 17. Trey Turner always in the top five with 13. Fernando Tatis with 13, Tommy Edmond out of St. Louis with 12, and Ronald Acuna Jr. with 11. Those are your top performers this far through uh, the MLB season, and I'm not really that surprised. A lot of these guys you would expect to be there. Kevin Gossman, though. Ooh, sheesh. Did not see that one coming. So let's talk what happened over the weekend series. The Phillies beat the Nets in an interconference battle 2-1, to one. I'm sure they would have liked the sweep, but two to one victory over the Nationals. And then there was a sweep, even on Sunday night baseball. The big rivalry game, the Red Sox sweep the Yankees and outscore them 18 to 10 in this series. The final game was won in extra innings on Sunday night baseball. That's gotta be a bad taste in the Yankees' mouth as they're finally getting healthy and they can they continue to lose, which that AL East is a very tough division. They gotta find their way into the winning column. The Astros beat the Blue Jays 2-1 in a big AL battle. The Braves beat the Dodgers 2-1. The Braves really battling in that tough NL East division, and they're able to pick up a huge series win against the defending champion Dodgers. And then the Giants beat the Cubs 2-1. They just keep on winning. You know, the Cubs are a good team. That's what this series put them out of uh, first place with Milwaukee. But the Giants, man, it's just, it's just crazy shit to watch. And then the Mets beat the Padres 2-1 to in a big uh, NL battle. The Mets getting some momentum, staying on top of that NL East, which sets us up for this weekend. We got Cardinals versus Cubs, another big-time battle that'll be on Sunday Night Baseball in the NL Central battle. We have Padres versus Mets right back at you. Quick little rematch. It'll be interesting to see how the Padres come out as they had lost the series this past weekend to the Mets. We have Mariners versus Indians, two teams right around the wild card spot. Uh, will be a good little AL battle. 
the Blue Jays and Red Sox as the Jays try to um, catch up to the Sox as they're down five and a half game for the division-leading Red Sox. See if Vlad Guerrero can keep hitting dingers. And then we have the Athletics and Royals, two teams in the wildcard hunt, Athletics leading the AL West as we speak. Again, now it's time for some Chell, though. Lots of action happening in the NHL, including my number one seeded Colorado Avalanche. Some news uh, headlines outside of the series. Canada and the NHL have reached an agreement for border crossing travel for the playoffs, which is big news, right? A lot of the Canadian teams are playing each other, but Montreal, had, we'll get to that in a second, is going to be traveling uh, through the States, so no issues there. The arbitrator had uphold the eight-game suspension for my Colorado Avalanche's Nazim Kadre, who they could use with the physicality of the Vegas Golden Knights right now. So the earliest he could come back would be a Game 7 for the Avs. The Boston Bruins coach Bruce Cassidy fined 25 Gs for criticizing officiating in Game 5. I feel like he gives zero shits about that, but it's worth bringing up. So let's talk right into that Round 2 series. We have Bruins, we got Islanders, Game four, which we had come off of the game three last weekend. Slow starting game here. No goals in the first period. One goal for each team in the second period. And then Kyle Palmieri with his fifth playoff goal. And then um, the third period, the Islanders just finished strong. Three more goals to take the 4-1 and one victory in the series, which is massive for the Islanders as they win at home and head to Boston. Well, in Game 5, somehow Boston outshoots New York 44-19, but the Islanders take the victory on the road as Semyon Varlamov stays hot with 40 saves. Varlamov's on fire. Meanwhile, David Pasternak with 6th and 7th playoff goals, the 7th coming on a power play, and Brad Marchand, 6th playoff goal. They all show up as they lose a close one, and Palmieri on the Islanders gets his 6th playoff goal as well. So next up is Game 6 in New York as the Islanders look to close it out at home up 3-2 in this series. I had the Islanders losing to Pittsburgh in Round 1. Here they are in, you know, with a, a closing opportunity at home in the in, against the Boston Bruins. Um, it's going to be hard to beat New York right now with the way Varlamov is playing. Uh, but Game 7 will be in Boston if they can find a way to win, come home and wrap up the series. This is going to be bonkers. I can't wait for the next game. I love me some playoff hockey. And then we have the Avs versus the Knights, right? Both these teams went 4-4 in the regular season. The Avs started hot game one, winning 7-1, taking the 2-0 lead as expected at home. And then the momentum shift, right? You could really see the momentum shift in game two as the Vegas has just really been controlling the ice, controlling the puck, getting more uh, aggressive offensively and slowing down that front line of, of Colorado. Um, Vegas was able just to whip their front line out, shoot them 43-20 to in Game 3. Miko Rantanen had his fourth playoff goal in the second period to take the 2-1 lead for Colorado. From there, it was all Vegas. Um, they got the 3-2 win to, to make the series 2-1, which set up an intriguing Game 4. Much of the same here. Vegas outshot Colorado 35-18. to 18 shots for Colorado in their front line is unheard of. 35 to 18, and the Golden Knights win 5 to 1. Brandon Said gets his sixth playoff goal for the first score in the game, and then Jonathan uh, Marchessault with his fifth and sixth playoff games. And Vegas has just been taking it to my abs, man. 
Really big pivotal game here. Round five, series 2-2 at home. Let's see what the Avs can draw up and make some changes. Uh, they could use Kadri to be physical within the middle line, but hey, um, this really comes down to McKinnon, Landeslog, the main guys for Colorado. We'll see how it goes in front of a bonkers crowd at home. And then we have the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning versus Carolina. The um, game four, Tampa comes up uh, uh, was up in the series two one coming back home, and the top dogs for Tampa came to play. They came to eat um, as they just sit back and watch the Avs and Golden Knights slug it out. Braden Point scored his seventh playoff goal. Steven Stamkos with his fourth and fifth goals via power play in this game. And then Nikita Kucherov with his fourth and fifth playoff goals as well. Game five tonight is in Raleigh, or in Raleigh, North, Carol North Carolina, as the Hurricanes look to, you know, try to stay alive. But uh, Tampa Bay looks like the dominant team here. Would not be surprised if they close it out. But again, as an Avs fan, let's go Hurricanes. And then we have this dunk clunker of a series. The Canadians versus the Winnipeg Jets. It was up 1-0 since we last talked on the last podcast. But game two, Carey Price blanks the Jets and Montreal wins 1-0 to go up 2-0. Price's eighth career playoff, uh, playoff shutout, and he had 30 saves in this game. So a big thing in hockey is a hot goalie. Well, the Islanders and Montreal are riding the hot hand. Game three, Winnipeg finally got a score, uh, but the Canadians win 5-1 to one as Nick Suzuki and Joel Armia score their fourth playoff goals. This puts Montreal up 3-0. And you usually don't see sweeps this far into hockey playoffs. Uh, game four, the Jets definitely showed some more fight to avoid elimination, but lose the game 3-2 as they got outshot 42-16. to So bravo, Montreal, for the sweep. You don't see that this far in hockey. They're just chilling and waiting as they get to watch um, the other teams uh, play out their series and they get to um, get some rest and put their feet up to chill out. Well, upcoming this week, you know, again, Montreal is chilling while Tampa looks to close out tonight on the road. Colorado has to get momentum tonight at home. And then game six for Boston and New York is on Tuesday night. Um, that's got to be Wednesday night, right? That's not tonight as well. Let me double check. There's so, so much sports, I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's tomorrow night. If there is a game seven, that... Wait, I had to have write this wrong. So Boston Islanders, yep, Wednesday night. If there's a game seven, Friday night, again, that would be happening in Boston on home ice. Just kind of a shocker. You know, I had Montreal losing to Toronto, which we did not... Ex I think most of us didn't expect Toronto to lose in the first round. Uh, but now they have the, a chance to face the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning before uh, battle them to fight for the cup. So, yeah, I mean, if you like an underdog story, Montreal is delivering fun to see, fun to see. And before, before we close out, we have some other hitters to chat about. Um, I saw this and was just appalled. John Ram getting taken out of the PGA tournament as he was, I think, a five-stroke lead. Right, the amount of money that he loses for that, for them pulling him out mid mid event, but it's like okay, cool. So he's tested positive. He's already been around the people the whole the whole event. Why can't we just social distance him to finish out, or you know, give him an opportunity? Because we're talking about a, a a shit ton of money, life changing money for most people. 
Um, I just thought that was crazy that they pulled him out. I, I don't really know what to think, but yeah, that's a big headline. And then we got the, some French Open action. Not a massive tennis guy, but I love me the French Open. Rafael Nadal is my favorite tennis guy, and he is the king of clay. Interesting news, Federer withdrawed from Wimbledon after round three. And we are set up for some quarterfinal action manana. Nadal and Djokovic are still alive, so it'll be fun to see who battles their way out of the French Open. As a fan, it's it can't be uh, uh, Nadal and Djokovic as Djokovic is one, Nadal's three. But that could be a, a, a great semifinal matchup. Um, and then probably Daniel Medved in the championship little rematch action there. Gotta love you some some big-time tennis majors. And then in uh, soccer world, USA soccer coming back down 0-2 against Mexico and the CONCACAF Gold Cup happening here in July. Uh, the USA, I believe, plays tomorrow in another game against Puerto Rico. Let me double-check my calendar. Boom, Costa Rica. Uh, but huge win for the U.S. If you're a soccer fan, which, you know, I'm a relative soccer fan. I'm a USA fan. Any sport USA, we're all at the bar chatting USA. It's not me versus you. We're all on the same team. I think it's a unique thing in sports. This is supposed to be one of the better USA soccer teams. Lots of young uh, talent on here. Uh, Pulsevich, or, you know, I'm murdering his name. Pulsevich had the... Um, Game-winning goal, took a shirt off, fun celebration, great energy to see. Honestly, when they were down 0-2, I tuned out, and hey, they came back and made a run for it. So bravo, USA Soccer. Let's bring home some glory in the World Cup. And then I got a little non-story story for you guys. Some things going down in ESPN. If you hadn't seen Kenny Main, uh, basically was told to take like a 75% pay cut. And Ariel Hawani announcing that he's leaving ESPN supposedly has something spurred up for his next move, and he didn't want to announce it yet. Um, but yeah, you know, these people leaving on themselves in the world of like me doing a podcast, all the internet power you have. If you're a fight fan, you like Ariel Hawani, you'll probably tune into what he's doing. It's cool to see these guys uh, leave the network and not have to work for somebody. Now they get the opportunity to work for themselves. Hey, I'm, I'm podcasting Kenny Maine, Ariel Hawani. We'll got, we got to get you on Business and Buckets. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll be doing some sort of podcasting or online presence networks um, and, and their future moves. And, you know, hopefully uh, your guys, Shane Gillette, can team up with them one day. Um, but, yeah, it's just interesting to see what's happening in the journalism world as I majored in broadcast journalism myself. Sad to see guys like this getting cut out of the picture but they have a following and the fans will follow. I'm sure there'll be lots of successes, but let's get them on business and buckets. All right, let, let, let's get these guys coming in and, and deliver them some sports. I saw Kenny Maines even in Seattle. I got to hit him up on Twitter, see if he'll respond. Maybe we could get him in for a little sports show as I'd love to have some banter back and forth, right? You guys keep tuning in, listen to me, spit some shit, but it'd be fun to have some knowledgeable people in here, spit some banter back and forth. People love that in some sports shows. So we'll see. We'll see. But episode 28, we're cranking, baby. I can't believe it's June. Can't believe I'm 28 episodes in. If you're supporting me, if you've subscribed, you're the real MVPs. Much love, much appreciated. Give me some feedback. You have questions. You want me to talk about content. Again, comment on my pages. DM me. Um, any insightful feedback, open to it. This is going to involve a lot over time. And obviously, I'm committed doing this every single week. I'm actually going to be in Montana in July. 
for a couple weeks. So I got to figure out how I can do uh, some some shows outside of the podcast studio, which will definitely have me scratch my brain a little bit. So if you have any suggestions on how to do things, you know, with not a studio setup, some mobile setups, some mobile microphones and everything, or you have equipment recommendations, hit your brother up, business and podcast, uh, business and buckets podcast at Gmail. You got my social medias. Let me know. But thank you, Fueled Supplements, for keeping us rocking. Once again, use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off fueledsupplements.com. We'll see you guys next week. Deuces.